I have to tell you, I was so excited last night, I had trouble going to sleep. If you remember a year ago at Easter, I know where I was. I was in my basement watching the service on TV, and now here we are as God's people gathered together to worship Him. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the great resurrection chapter in the Bible. Last week, we looked at the first 11 verses of this chapter. This morning, we're going to look at verses 12 through 28. The pyramids of Egypt are famous because they contain the ancient pharaohs and different Egyptian kings. Westminster Abbey in London is renowned because in it rests the bodies of English nobles and notables. Mohammed's tomb is noted for the stone coffin and the bones it contains. The Taj Mahal in India was built as a memorial to a wife of one of India's shahs. Arlington Cemetery in Washington, D.C. is is revered for it is the honored resting place of many outstanding Americans. But the garden tomb of Jesus is famous not for what is there, but for what is not there. It is empty. He is risen. And that we celebrate this morning. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, is writing to some individuals that are confused on this issue of the resurrection. In the first 11 verses, he has laid out the gospel, that Christ died, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, that this is the gospel, the good news, whereby we are saved by putting our faith and trust in him. Now, Paul goes on, and he's going to argue a case like a lawyer. And so he says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, Your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. 
But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in What a great passage of Scripture. As the Apostle Paul writes about the implications of what it means if Christ has not been raised and what it means if he has been raised, which indeed he has been. But the Apostle Paul, as he is addressing them, first of all, he writes to them and he wants to pose to them what it would mean if there is no resurrection. What if there is no resurrection? What if the body is just left in the grave and there's nothing more after that? That's what the unbelieving Greek philosophers taught. They held that the spirit part of man survives after death in some eternal place somewhere, But the body goes to the grave, turns to dust, never to be raised. They taught that the body was essentially evil and that it was a prison for the spirit. When death came, the spirit was freed and liberated from the sinful body, which was dead and forgotten. The idea of a literal resurrection of the body was offensive to the natural Greek mind. The Corinthian Christians had bought the reasoning of these philosophers and they were, many of them holding, there is no resurrection of the dead. They began to believe as the Greek philosophers talked about the resurrection that the body And the belief in the resurrection of the body was only the hope of swine. That was their view. First, these believers in Corinthians were holding to the fact that Christ was risen. They had to hold to that because that was part of the gospel. That Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. 
But at the same time they were holding to that, they were also saying there is no resurrection of the body. And the Apostle Paul is pointing out to them, you cannot hold both of those positions. You must choose one or the other. Either there is no resurrection and Christ is still in the grave and somebody stole his body, or else there is a resurrection and Christ indeed has risen. But what if there is no resurrection? Then Paul argues if there is no resurrection, no bodily resurrection, in verse 13 he says, Christ has not been raised. If there's no resurrection, Christ can't be raised. Do you see? They conflict one another. You must choose one or the other. Secondly, he says in verse 14, that if there is no resurrection, our preaching means nothing. I'm wasting my time this morning. As a pastor who has given himself to preach the word of God, it's all vain. It means nothing at all. All the pastors all around the world today that are gathered and preaching the gospel to the people in their congregations, to the church, it means absolutely nothing. The apostles who proclaim this, in all, from them all the way to today, all of the preaching that has occurred in all the churches and in all the gatherings, it all means absolutely nothing if there is no resurrection. Not only does our preaching mean nothing, in verse 14 he also says, our faith means nothing. Your faith is meaningless. If there is no resurrection from the dead, you've just believed in a fairy tale. You've believed in a myth. And your faith that you think has gotten you through many different things in your life is just in your imagination. It doesn't really exist. If there's no resurrection of the dead, our faith means nothing. In verse 15, he makes it clear, if there is no resurrection from the dead, Paul says, then we are false witnesses. Remember back in those first 11 verses? In verse 5, Paul said that Jesus, after he was resurrected, appeared to Peter. Peter, you're a liar. You're a false witness. It didn't happen. It couldn't happen if there was no resurrection. Well, then he appeared to the 12. They're all liars. They're all false witnesses. They got together and they contrived this story. Almost all of them died a martyr's death holding on to this story. Uh, none of them denied it. Jesus then, in verse 6, we're told, appeared to over 500 people at once. Paul said many of them are still living, that you can go talk to them. But why would you go talk to them? They're all liars. All 500 of them had some type of hallucination at exactly the same time. 
because they all saw Christ and bore witness to it, but they're all false witnesses. James, the half-brother of Jesus, Jesus appeared to him. He's a false witness as well. James, who really didn't believe in Jesus until after the resurrection, is lying about seeing the risen Christ. Then in verse 7, he says he appeared to all the apostles. They're all lying. And Paul says in verse 8, and then he even appeared to me. So we are all false witnesses. And for those of us who have proclaimed this truth over and over again throughout our life of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're all just lying to you. Write us all off as false witnesses because that's what's true if there is no resurrection. Not only are we all false witnesses, but we are still in our sin. That sin that you thought was taken away when Jesus died on the cross, there's no power in the blood to take away our sin if there is no resurrection of the dead. Jesus' resurrection was to prove that he had power over death and over sin. But if there's no resurrection, then there's no power to forgive our sins. If there is no resurrection in verse 18, we are told that dead believers have perished. Your loved ones that have gone on before you, their bodies are just dust or are being returned to dust. They have perished. When Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, he says that we as believers do not sorrow the way the world sorrows because we have hope. And our hope is built into the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But if there's no resurrection, there's no hope. This is all there is. This is it. When we die... It's the end. When our loved ones have died, it's the end. And Paul kind of sums this up saying, if there is no resurrection, that believers are to be pitied. If the only hope that we have is in this life, we are of all people to be pitied because we have given our lives to love and serve a Savior who's still in the grave. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is fundamental to true Christianity. Without this historical fact, there is no Christianity at all. Remove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we have nothing to be excited about, nothing to celebrate, 
Nothing to really put our faith and trust in if Christ is not risen. But look at verse 20 in the passage. Paul now makes a transition and he says this, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. It's a fact of history. Christ has been raised. This is what the apostles preached. If you read the book of Acts of the Apostles, you will find that the preaching of the resurrection, that the resurrection is mentioned 145 times in the book of Acts. It was the focal point of the early church's preaching that there is a resurrection. Jesus, when he was here on earth, he stated there would be a resurrection for the godly and for the ungodly. In John chapter 5, in verses 28 and 29, look at what Jesus said. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. There is a resurrection. And because there is a resurrection, Paul then argues, verse 20, then Christ has been raised. Because there is a resurrection, Christ himself has risen from the dead. Secondly, he tells us that Christ being raised is the first fruits. He tells us that in verse 20 and then in verse 23, that Christ is the first fruit of the resurrection. This idea of first fruits was something that the Jewish believers would clearly understand. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread at Passover time, the Jewish farmer would go out into his fields when the crop was first coming in, and he would take a small sheaf of the grain that was ripe, and then he would take it to the temple, and the priest would wave it before the Lord. This was a pledge or a guarantee of more grain to come. So out of trust in God, they take the first of the harvest, and they bring it and sacrifice that to the Lord. And by doing so, they are making a statement that they are trusting God to bring more fruit. Paul says that Jesus is the first fruit. He's the first. But he's not the last. Because he is the first fruit, he is the promise that there is more to come. Notice what Paul argues next, since there is a resurrection. In verse 20, dead believers will be raised. We do have hope. We do not have to sorrow as the world sorrows, because dead believers will be raised. Your friends that have gone on before you, are being caught up to meet the Lord, will not prevent or precede those, our friends. Your spouse that you placed into 
the coffin or who was cremated, the promise is Jesus will raise them again. Your siblings who believed in Jesus, who have gone on before you, they will be raised. Your children, and oh, how sad it is and what sorrow it brings when as a parent we have to bury a child. But we have the assurance if their faith is in Jesus that they will be raised. Jesus' resurrection is the promise of the first fruits of the resurrection to come. And believers of all time, from Adam and Eve in the garden until the very end of time, all believers in Christ will be raised because there is a resurrection. Because there is a resurrection, the Apostle Paul tells us in verses 21 and 22 that Christ reverses the acts of Adam. As in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Those who are born of Adam, which is all of us, we will all die. Those who are born again and born of Christ, we shall all live. In Adam we all die, but in Christ we are all made alive. You know, the story is told of an African Muslim who converted to Christianity. His friends were puzzled and they asked him, why have you become a Christian? And he says, well, it's like this. Imagine for a moment that you are walking down a road and you come to a fork in the road. And you don't know which way to go. But there are two individuals there at the fork. One of them is dead, Mohammed, and one of them is alive, Jesus. Who are you going to listen to? As in Christ, we are all made alive. Now, as Jesus reverses the acts of Adam, Jesus also, we're told in verse 24, because of the resurrection, he is one day going to deliver the kingdom to his father. Jesus is going to take supremacy over everything. And at that time in the future, he will then offer the kingdom to his Father. We're told in verse 26 that death will be destroyed. Death, the last enemy, will be done for it forever because Jesus has victory over death and death will be destroyed and then we're told in verse 28 that God will be all in all. Now, I'm not certain I know for sure exactly what that all means when it says God will be all in all. We know that Jesus offers up the kingdom to his Father. 
Jesus is over everything except his Father. And when he receives everything, and when he has defeated all the enemies, he takes it and he delivers that kingdom to his Father. And God is all in all. The British minister, W.E. Sangster, who lived in the 1950s, began to lose his voice because of a disease that he had that caused his muscles to continue to fail, to go into atrophy. He recognized his end was coming, and he threw himself into writing and praying. In the midst of his suffering, he pleaded with God and said, Lord, please let me stay in the struggle. I may not be able to be a general in this battle anymore, but just give me a regiment to lead. His voice eventually failed completely. His legs were totally useless. On Easter morning, just a few weeks before his death, he took a pen and he shakily wrote a letter to his daughter. In it, he said this, it is terrible to wake up on Easter morning and to have no voice with which to shout, he is risen. But it would be still more terrible to have a voice and not want to shout, he is risen. So God has given us voices this morning, so let's stand together and let's shout, he is risen together with me. He is risen again. He is risen. And once more, he is risen. <laughs>